Hello and welcome to the Swift Legacy podcast, a show where we talk all things Taylor Swift with a focus on her early career. We are hosts Amy and Molly and today we're going to be talking about the unreleased song, Who I've Always Been. Hey guys, welcome back to the Swift Legacy podcast. Feels like we say this every time that we discuss unready songs, but Who I've Always Been really is one of my all-time favourites. It was written by Taylor, Liz Rose and Brian Mayher, probably around 2005. If you haven't heard this song, then The Inner Circle, who we dislike as people but are kind of useful for a resource, have written a brief description of what this song is about. Molly will read it for you. So Steve says, Taylor gets sassy in a fun way when comparing herself to the high school prom queen. Both became singers, but took much different paths to get there. We like the grammar, Steve. I love the description of Taylor's guitar, guitar case and lyric writing in this song. Extremely country. Steve cannot write in English, but there we go. So that's what Steve says about this song. Steve is an asshole. I'm sorry, both became, took much different paths to get there. Steve, very different paths. Did I just say path? Oh my god, I'm spending too much time with you. I kind of feel like Steve's description isn't, I don't know, yes, it's accurate in that I guess that is what the song is about, but I feel like he's a little bit too confident in saying it's about the prom queen. It's not necessarily about the prom queen, it's about somebody she knew who she maybe didn't particularly like from the content of the song, shall we say? Um... (laughs) But yeah, I think Steve makes a lot of assumptions and I think you have to take everything the inner circle says with quite a large spoonful of salt, like not just a pinch, a spoonful. (laughs) I feel like he quite often just takes away the wrong things from songs as well. Like he'll hold one line and suddenly that's the meaning of the song. I'm like, are we listening to the same song? Like you look at his description of I Bet You Think About Me and there's so much you could have said about that song. He's just missed the mark. He was completely. so wrong there. He was so wrong about that. I kind of feel like he wanted to make it sound, I don't know, more like something people would want, considering he was the only one who had it for a really long time. But besides by, um, basically, Who I've Always Been is a very angry song. I would say it's angry rather than sassy. Would you agree? I think, yeah, I think it definitely it's a bit of both but I think there's there's a bite behind those words it is it's angry and oh god I say this every time I say you can hear any anger in her words oh I need to get a new vocabulary you do always say that you can hear the anger in her voice (laughs) I do all the time it does get repetitive I know it gets Um, old I will I will say the thing is you can and she does have a good number of particularly angry songs where she does sound really pissed off. Um, And maybe we've done a lot of episodes on those because they are our favourites because we really like Angry Taylor. We need to start doing some sad ones. By the way, add that to the list. Oh my God, we need to do By The Way. I'll just be in tears the entire episode. So the first verse of Who I've Always Been focuses on the other girl or person who she is singing about. Then the chorus is kind of mainly saying, 
What is it saying, Molly? It's saying... So the chorus goes, I want to talk about what you are that I ain't. Let's talk about what you do that I can't. Let's talk about me and you in that empty room and who wins. It's like comparing her to this other girl. They're yeah. very different. They're, oh, it's almost like they're after the same prize, but going about it in very different ways. They are. Essentially, that is the whole premise of the song. Mm-hmm. You've just described and the song in a line. There you go. Better than you, Steve. Give us Nashville anyway. Give us Nashville, Steve, please. It's time. It, the time has come. The second verse, verse, the second what? verse, the second verse focuses on Taylor and kind of saying what she has done to work towards achieving, achieving, achieving. God, I can't speak today. What she's done, working towards achieving her dream of becoming a singer. I actually, I have to take uh, back what I said I about the song line because <laughs> I'm now reading the lyric and I'm thinking, oh shit, I forgot that. So the bridge goes, let's talk about your childhood days. You were the prom queen. I was on this stage. So where's that crown gotten you these days when it's me and you in the same damn games? I feel like when she says you were the prom queen, I think it's metaphorical. Oh, I or, agree. Or yeah. hypothetical. It's like you were like it one feels- of those very much like this other girl is daddy's little girl like rich family no it feels like everything's been handed to her on a silver platter she's had it very easy and it's I mean I feel I think we've all felt it like that other person it feels like they've walked into a room and had something handed to them nepotism um whereas Taylor's like I've worked hard for this since I was what 11 years old and you you're coming in and acting like you're my equal and my competitor and like or even better than me I mean do you really want it I think what I just noticed about you talk talking about those um lyrics is how much the first verse and the second verse mirror each other but they're talking about um the two different girls in the song so they're talking about Taylor and this other girl so you walk in here with your guitar man so she's got a man playing the guitar for her whereas I walk in here with the beat up case the same guitar I've always played it is. It very much says, like, you've just decided you want to do this now and I've been working at it for years. Don't come in here and act like we're the same. Take your place in the line, girl. <laughs> exactly. I feel like, oh, my God, I've never really looked at this song in this way before, but looking at the lyrics now kind of makes me think about the country music industry as a whole when she was coming up. Mm-hmm. And not just when she was coming up, but when kind of Kelsey Ballerini was coming up, Maren Morris, there was very much the sense that only one or a select few, two or three women could succeed in the country music industry. There was not room for more than that. I think it's become quite a lot better recently. And I think that Kelsey Ballerini talked about it in her new book, but like she felt very protective of her place in the industry like she was one of the one women who was succeeding and I think this song is kind of a telling sign of that from like right in the beginning that when you're coming up in that industry or when Taylor was coming up in the industry at least at that time it was very much there is only room for one of us. That's really made me think about whether part of the reason she moved to pop was to almost her place in the industry in general not just the country music industry felt slightly insecure I mean who do we know who's had a very female who's had a very long prosperous career solely in the country music industry 
there's not many there are a few but there's not as many as you think about I'm talking about your Madonnas and your Beyonce's who is there in the country music industry and Amy you know I mean yeah there would obviously Dolly Parton or Shania Twain but when you say solely in the country industry they both kind of have pop cross in a little bit but big names in terms of universally big names no there really isn't it's an interesting thought I've never thought of that but then I don't follow the country music industry as closely as you do so yeah but I was I was kind of looking at the song and I was thinking this isn't very feminist this isn't very girls supporting girls and we know that Taylor back in the day I won't say she had a problem with that but it was it was a different time I feel like that's a really loud. We're, we're talking excuse. about the girl who wrote Better Than Revenge. What would that have been five years after this? So, yeah. I mean, it's not it's not unreasonable to think, yeah, she was not a feminist. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think we can condemn her for that because I don't think the conversation was there around it so much as it is now. Um, like it's it's very prominent now and it's something that we all talk about. However, when I was kind of like looking at that, like this isn't very, this isn't a very nice thing to be saying, I kind of realized that it mirrored the situation in the industry exactly, which is interesting considering she wasn't like properly in the industry then. Yeah, I don't know. To me, it feels very much like when you're, what would she have been, 15-ish writing this and you're jealous of someone else and it, you're 15 a teenager everything is someone else's fault it does feel like she's blaming this other girl for her own insecurities in a way so and this sounds so harsh but I mean I wonder if she just had never felt like she had competition and suddenly she feels like she's got competition and it feels she's insecure about it and the blame is going to this other girl because she doesn't feel like she deserves it as much as she does and I feel Which like that's very, very She was, um, she always kind of said in Journey to Fearless back when she was in, pen, I was going to say penicillin. Back when she was in Pennsylvania, she always kind of said on the Journey to Fearless um, DVD interviews, whatever, that she kind of made the point that she was sort of ostracized for wanting to be a singer. And like people thought that was weird. And I think that as much as obviously being ostracized isn't a nice thing um she would have wanted people to like her but I think she very much did come from a place of thinking like this is my thing and if then someone's coming in and being like oh hello me too she's gonna be like no fuck off yeah I guess the I, I could only guess the jump from Pennsylvania to Nashville was a very big jump for someone who wanted to become a singer coming from a place where no one else had the same dreams and goals as she did to go into a place where everyone wants to do the same thing exactly it's got to be a bit of a shock to the system oh my god it reminds me of this is me trying and um no what no wait do you know what i'm saying no no oh the lyric um i was so ahead of the curve the curve became a sphere fell behind all my classmates and i ended up here do you see what i'm saying it's not exactly the same but it's this idea of being like gifted golden child and suddenly everyone's caught up to oh yes don't don't let's not go there not today anyway I hardly think we can call Taylor Swift the burnout child so at the beginning we did say that we think this song was probably written about 2005 which would have made Taylor 14 would you agree with that Molly do you think 2005 2006 2005 makes her 15 god I'm really fucking dumb today 
Yeah. No, I'm just really good at it because my birthday's. Oh, Amy, yours yours is 2001. Actually, no, that doesn't make yeah. you good at it because mine's no. 2000. I always go a year below, and she is 99. Well, she's not 99. She's 89. But so I always go same year for her. So I'm quite good at translating years to dates. Anyway, unless it was beyond the 13th of December, which I doubt it was. And yeah, I'm 20th of December. Can I say so it again? Kind of... Can I say it again so I don't sound dumb in the episode? No, because you make me sound dumb. So I, I don't smart correcting you. No, yes, you do. We were both in the cab when we both fell. We were both in the cab when we both fell. That's not the, the car. Lyric, the car when we both fell. Yeah. Molly, that was you being dumb. That was not me making you dumb. Yeah, I know, but you were just done by saying 2004. Oh, she was 14, so... Yeah, okay, okay. Half. Okay, point. The point has been taken. The point has been taken. Okay, so yeah, uh, 2005, she was 15. That is, that's my professional opinion, should we say. I think you're probably about right there. It's, there are two versions of it. There's a studio demo and there is an acoustic version. It sounds like a song that was written when she was probably writing for her album which would have been around that time. Yeah, and her voice sounds quite mature as well. It doesn't sound like it could. Have, she could have been much younger. I agree. So are there any lyrics in particular, Molly, that you love about this song? Honestly, I love the whole song, but um, with whatever talent money buys, so polished that it slips right through your hands. I think that's such a clever lyric. That's, yeah. Even before that, I, I love the way she phrases a smile on your face and knife in your hand. She does feel threatened by this girl. And I think the entire song is almost trying to make out like she doesn't. Like, oh, you're no threat for me. I've been working for this since I was. But actually, you read between the lines. She feels threatened. She's so threatened. I love the first pre-chorus where she says, don't worry yourself. I ain't your competition, but don't flatter yourself. That was never my intention. I love like, that. girl, if you're not competing, if you're not competing with this person, why are you writing this song? What, what is the point? Unless this person was like trying to, like trying to be like hey I'm like you but I I don't know I love that line yeah that's such a good one honestly the entire like song is full of those great one-liners things that you feel like she's very it sounds so dumb to say that she's very good with words but she was about 15 here I know Amy's laughing at me of you but she is I feel like Taylor would be really good in an argument no, I don't know. I feel like on one hand she would, she might be really good. And on the other hand, I feel like she's a crier like me. She should burst into tears. Yeah. Maybe that's why she wrote songs. <laughs> she yeah. just got out of an argument with this girl where she'd ended up sobbing. I mean, that that's probably most likely, let's be honest, it's Taylor. Mm-hmm. All right. I also love the line, you tell the crowd you're paying dues. I tell them this is what I do. And it's what I put my life into as I breathe the smoke and cheap perfume. Because it's like the other girl is saying, playing these tiny shows is below her. And Taylor's like, I do this because this is what I love. Amy, a singer in a smoky room, um, smell of wine and cheap perfume from Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Ooh, that's interesting. That's an interesting I knew that line referenced another song and I could not remember what song it was. It's that one. Ah, maybe like, oh, I don't know. It might not have been intentional, but it's definitely too much of a parallel to ignore. It may have been intentional, though. What if the other girl was like a cover singer and sang that? That would be very clever. But I guess this we'll is such know. a reach. I'm, I'm such fully reach. like reaching. At that this is point, a massive but... reach. No, I wish I like the theory. About. You know what? I would love. I would love to see a music video for who I've always been. 
I feel like I, you know what? It gives me the same vibes as I bet you think about me. I I see not, that. Not music video wise, vibe, uh, not music video wise, but song wise. I, I get feel that. Like we get a very like sarcastic, tongue in cheek music video. I think it would be brilliant. Every time I hear it, I mean, it's like Maisie Peters' villain. I have this entire music video scene playing out in my head. Like I know exactly what the video should be like. I think this song is too outdated at this point to be sold to another artist because it's a bit too competition-y. Yeah. That's not a word, but you you get what I mean. Um, but I think it would have been cool if she would have at some point maybe given it to another artist to record, like back in 2009, yeah. 10 maybe. Well, why do we think it didn't end up on her debut album? That is a good question. I need a minute to think about it. Do you have any thoughts? I think it may have just referenced this other girl too closely. And we know she didn't mind calling out men, but maybe she was slightly hesitant to outwardly call out this other girl if it was only like a year on from when she wrote it, that she was releasing the album. Possibly. That's my only theory. I feel like maybe it was... I don't want to say it was too angry to make the album because Pitch to Burn is angry. Should have said no is angry. But I wonder if the quota of angry songs had kind of been filled with those two. Yeah, possibly. Don't know. I feel like there are other. No, that those are really the only angry ones on, on debut, aren't they? They're like the properly hardcore mm-hmm. angry ones. Like, I will rip your guts out. Yeah. I wonder. I don't know if maybe because it is it's almost too out there thematically like it's about a completely different situation to everything else on debut maybe it just felt like it didn't fit the album very well because lyrically it's some of her strongest unreleased stuff and it is way stronger than some of the stuff that did make the album so I wonder if she was looking at the themes of the album and thought actually this one doesn't fit also maybe considering what it would have been received as in the industry considering it's her debut album does she want to come across as a bit too, a bit cocky, a bit like, I'm the best, etc. Yeah. No, that's that's something she probably took into consideration as well. We do have to consider that it's not just Taylor making these decisions. It's the record label. It's people around her, market research even. Um, so it's not necessarily just Taylor's decision. Um, but yeah, I would... I would probably say industry considerations, most of all, and theme. I think she would have been told that it didn't work on the album or she shouldn't have put it on for various different reasons. Could you have seen it on the album? Not really. Thematically, it's just wrong, isn't it? It doesn't fit, no. And I hate saying that because it genuinely is one of my favourites and I'd rank it way above at least half of debut. I tell you where it should have gone. Where? Oh, Beautiful Eyes EP. No, Beautiful Eyes EP. Beautiful IZP is way too happy. This yeah, is I know. Just beautiful IZP. <laughs> we should have had, we should have had fearful instead of fearless, and just this uh, would have gone on fit. Can we make the album fearful? And it's got this, um, love to lose matches, um, writing songs about you. Yep, just all these really REV oh the, all these really what's really the other angry one songs. That's like um, it begins with an I. Why can I not innocent? <laughs> No, it's not my turn to be me. It says another one. Oh, I love my turn to be. Well, I don't love my turn to be me, but I did love it. Why do you not I love it anymore? Fan. I mean, it's not the best song, is it? No, I feel like you had some weird picks. Amy is the girl who said Superman was her favorite. Off, speak now. I 
did not say that currently. I said in the past, maybe. It's still fucked up. Fuck maybe you. it was my turn to be me. I can't think. Can you imagine my turn to be me on an album? No, it no, wouldn't happen. Talking about songs making yeah. albums, do you think it would make the vault? Oh, that's such a question. I I'm not sure if 31, 32 year old Taylor would be comfortable putting it on a vault, considering that it does kind of very much say there is only room for one of us in this town, industry, whatever <laughs> situation. Um, we all know she's become more aware of the feminist issue and the fact that she can't quite write songs like Better Than Revenge anymore. But I don't know because it is a really good song and I do love it and I think I think it's excellent. But then again, like we just said, we can't see it on the debut album and it kind of depends on the other songs that will go on the vault as to whether that will then fit on the album as a whole, like as mm. a project. When you look at something like the Red Vault or the Fearless Vault and not all those vault songs would have fit on the album as a project. And you look at, I look at the Fearless Vault, especially because we know songs that were considered for Fearless at one point in time and think there are songs there that she could have put on that vault that fit the album thematically and sonically way more than those other songs that she did put on there. So I don't know if that would be a consideration, but at the same time, I do think there are less risky songs to put on the vault, less controversial songs. Not that who I've always yeah. been is controversial because not enough no. people have heard it for there to be any controversy surrounding it, but definitely less. Yeah, I think it would be, it would be brave to put it on the vault. And I feel it like she, she, she'd be relying on the general public taking it as this is a song she wrote at 15 and we know from the reception of some of the songs on red especially the 10 minute version of all too well from certain journalists not everyone takes that into consideration so i don't think she will go on there i'd be very surprised yeah. and you know what i don't mind can stay our little secret yeah as much as i would love to see it on there there are other songs maybe i would i would rather see on there by the way closest to a cowboy w tennessee just south of knowing why etc um I think it also it depends how many vault songs we get it depends what she takes into consideration when choosing the vault songs like you said the ones that were on red and fearless weren't necessarily fitting to the project um but yeah I'm not sure she's never performed it live as far as we know so some of the unreleased songs that we've got have been performed live and actually in hindsight those would definitely be contenders for the debut vault things like um Oh my gosh, why can't I remember? Well, obviously I'd Lie and Permanent Marker, but also things like, um, there are two songs and I cannot for the life of me. I could be your favourite little jeans with a hole in the knees and the bottom of the top drawer. You're anything. You're anything and your face. Yep. Which have both been performed live. I do think much stronger contenders. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Thanks for listening and don't forget to follow us on social media for exclusive content. And we'll see you again next week with a new episode of the Swift Legacy podcast. Bye.